Un, dos, tres, trois. It's the Roller Arnold the Barrel Vintage Baseball Podcast. Talking to vintage baseball players from Coast to Coast Border Border. We're back. Man, I've been doing Fuck. this a long time. Season five? Four? Five. 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 I'm over 50 now. Can't you tell? So some things, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, as as some people noted in a social media post, Rudy Frias, no longer with the show. And you would say Rudy Frias was on the show? Yeah, because he missed most of the last year. Anyway, <laughs> those weren't planned misses. These are planned misses as Rudy, in his youth, was bitten by the acting bug. You may know him as being the Spanish face of Bed Bath and Beyond or mm-hmm. some crazy Taco Bell ad that never went anywhere but I shared that picture. Anyway, Rudy Rudy went on to star in some many plays and such and he went to New York chasing that dream a long time ago and and actually performed on stages and uh you know what? I don't really know where it went. But you can look up Rudy Frias on IMDb and see how that went. And then uh, life happened. And wife and kids and everybody who has kids knows that's what comes first. So the acting went away. I believe he actually met his wife through the acting. And then uh, something happened this offseason where somebody needed an actor for a role. And they contacted Mr. Swamp Fox, and he decided to do it. So he now rehearses uh, most of his free time and parents parenting the other time. So he has no time for this nonsense. Uh, probably does have time for the other three or four podcasts he does, but not this one. And he will be back sometime later in the season, but not anytime soon, maybe second half of the season we're shooting for, but we will see. Ah, so something else you knew, but now is even more official than ever is uh, last season. Jeff Kozlowski from the Greenfield village, Lottie does Cougar. As you know, him joined the show as an alternate host last year to fill in for all of Rudy's activities. And then this season, he is now the permanent co-host. So when we're doing a show, it's going to be Jeff Kozlowski and it's going to also be Mike Feeney. So Mike Feeney's not here for this episode, but Mike Feeney, the captain of the Canton, Michigan corn shuckers, uh, also a full-time host of the show. So we will be having a three man booth or a two man booth. Uh, but rarely, Will you have to deal with a one-man booth, which isn't fun for you? I know that because that one man is me. Okay. So, welcoming to the show the newest full-time member. He gets no benefit out of this. Uh, Jeff Cougar Kozlowski. <laughs> uh, Jeff, thanks for showing up and being part of the show in Season 5. Hey, man, I'm I'm happy to be here. I have plenty of time for this nonsense. So I'm happy to happy to be part of the family once again. 
as is uh, as is our roving reporter Jonathan McLean. He is also ec- ecstatic and uh, wrote up a special report for today. So, oh, are we getting a live Jonathan McLean? Yeah, I, as soon as I can find him, uh, I think he's he's uh, he's around here somewhere. All right, we'll do that later. Uh, Jonathan McLean for our guests that we're about to introduce, just so they have some. Who? What the hell is that? We've never heard this show before in our lives. <laughs> it's it's our tribute to John McLean. Uh, and the movie Die Hard, but it's it's a vintage baseball. It's almost like a vintage baseball version of an ESPN Sports Center breaking news kind of. I don't know, a little something. Anyway, we are going to the dry heat of Arizona in episode one of season five. Uh, they love us in Arizona. I don't know how we are big in Arizona and France. Somebody explain it to me. Uh, and we are talking to the Higley Haymakers tonight. We're talking to Patrick Murphy and Sam Allen. How are you guys doing? Doing great out here. Yeah, doing awesome. And uh, experience will tell me to not ask questions that requires both of you to answer at the same time. It's very awkward. So we will address people specifically. We have Patrick, the Mayor Murphy. We have Sam Seabiscuit Allen, oh my God, there's going to be a story about Seabiscuit, but we'll get to it uh, later. Let's start with Patrick. You are the the captain uh, of the Higley Haymakers. Tell us, Patrick, how you came across vintage baseball, why you started a club, and how you started the club. Sure. Uh, so I came across vintage baseball, uh, I believe about 2017, uh, the town that I grew up in, in southeast corner of Arizona, has we have a big fest, baseball festival there every year, vintage baseball, and this uh, this April will actually be the 13th anniversary of that baseball festival. They've been doing it for a while. I was in town and decided to swing by and just watch what what it was going on. Uh, kind of got introduced to it in general there, uh, among this amazing ballpark and everything else. So got introduced to it there, got to check it out. They needed a player, so I jumped out and started playing with a couple other buddies. And from there, the bug had bit me. So I uh, actually joined the Bisbee squad at that point, played with them for a couple seasons. Uh, as we progressed into COVID, COVID really hit the Arizona League hard. We had tons of participation, tons of teams, and coming out of COVID in 2021 just really devastated us. So I played with them again in 2021. In 22, I decided, because I actually live up in the Phoenix area, uh, which is nowhere near Bisbee for those who know the geography of Arizona. It's about three and a half hours away. And I decided, you know, since Bisbee seems to be doing just fine, I'm going to start my own team, a new a new one up here of the Valley since we need new teams. And, and so I got together with a couple players who uh, had been with me playing in general and some people from other teams who were willing to, you know, try this new thing. And one of them was Sam here with us. And so we, like any good thing, we all sat down at a bar and decided to put together a team, put together a name. You know, the, the Higley. Higley is a town in the, in the Valley. It's actually non-existent anymore, but it's where Gilbert, Arizona is now. So that's why I call myself the mayor of a town that doesn't exist. So it's kind of fun. But we end up creating what we call the Higley Haymakers. And, uh, you know, it's also a haymaking area of Arizona. So uh, a couple of years later, here we are on a podcast. Uh, Sam, tell me when you first came across vintage baseball and what you uh, what you thought about it the first time it hit your eyes. 
Yeah, so I came across it, funny enough, because my wife got a, a birthday trip to Bisbee, the town that Patrick grew up in. And um, we were going down just for a weekend and I was researching things to do in Bisbee. You know, I knew the, the famous Copper Queen mine, but I knew nothing else, you know, what we were supposed to do down there. So I uh, discovered a place called Warren Ballpark that he mentioned, one of the oldest ballparks um, in the state, I guess the oldest in the state. Um, and I was like, this is really cool. I'm a big baseball history guy. And um, I stumbled upon the website and I see all these pictures of these guys and, you know, 19th century, you know, outfits and they're playing with no gloves. And I'm like, what is this craziness? And I, uh, it was a link to the league page. And this was again, right after COVID. So this is uh, fall of summer of 2020. Um, and I emailed a few clubs and uh, only got one response from a club. And they said, Hey, come out to a practice. Uh, I think it was like a few months later in September, October showed up, loved it. Um, loved the feel of the, of the ball hitting your hand really, you know, hard with no glove on. And, uh, yeah, just love the uh, the freedom. It's almost like, I don't know, I love the freedom it gave me to kind of go after balls that I wouldn't be able to go after in other forms of baseball. So, loved it. Cougar. And you talk more to that, Sam. Like, I, I just wrote that down. That just sounds so profound that you loved the freedom of that. Because most, most normal people, when you take a glove off of them, uh, will all of a sudden, like, you know, think of as an outfielder, that short fly ball, you want to pull mm-hmm. up on it and keep it in front of you. You yeah, know, there's, it's a rare breed of people that sees something like that and says, I'm, I'm going. Could you talk more to like what that freedom means? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, from the first practice to the first game, I realized I could go get balls that, you know, I could never get in slow pitch or in a, you know, in a baseball league, whether it's a one hopper in the foul territory, you know, I just loved laying out for for balls in the outfield um that was where i first started playing was in the outfield and and then when i kind of gradually towards you know the infield as well you know that freedom as well was i I love just going after any ball so so can you answer for for us and for those that are that are listening um tell us about the the ground rules what years you guys play with uh we were to come out to your neck of the woods, what kind of rules or things would we see? Sure, we do. Well, we kind of call ourselves a modified 1861-esque rule. Um, We actually put together a travel team this past summer and went to both Colorado and we're both also in the Ohio Cup. And so from there, we're able to learn a little more about rules and how it's played. Like we don't do stealing in Arizona in general, mostly because a lot of our catchers are older guys. And so, you know, a ball will bounce and you know, you get on first, also the young guys are immediately on third. So we didn't do that. But learning how they did that in Ohio was really interesting, kind of taking those, you know, the way the way an issue should be done. So we play a modified version. Some things are modified in the aspect of we do leadoffs, obviously. Um, we're not tethered to the base. So an array of modified versions. But we're close, as close as to about the 1861 rules. So when you guys hit the Ohio Cup, I'll start with you, Patrick. How big of a culture shock was it for you thinking that you were playing this niche sport that not many people do, not many people know about, and then you travel over to Ohio? Uh, How different was it for you? There were some aspects that were very different. Uh, You know, uniqueness, obviously, you know, Muffin Meadow, where you have this apple tree in the left field, which is just, fun and very interesting and 
So it was definitely a culture shock in the sense of like that aspect, you know, the cool town that's all around the Ohio Village, which is just really fun to be part of. And obviously tons and tons of teams. There's so many teams. We played so many different, different, even small variations of rules. You know, we played one team and you had to be tethered to the base. We played another team, you didn't have to be tethered to the base. So it was really interesting to see it's so different. But at the same time, back here in Arizona, even though it's, you know, relatively new, relatively small, when we go down and have our Bisbee tournament, this past April, when we had our Bisbee Festival, uh, was our 12th annual Copper City Classic. And there was 300 people there at one point. So crowd sizes, it's obviously different because it's in a stadium and everything, but but we, we bring out quite a bit of fans out here. It's an interesting balance. Sam, let me ask you this. Tell me about it. Uh, let me let me ask Sam a question, and then uh, and then you got a question for each of them. Cougar, you ready? Okay. Sam, BYU has the largest collegiate ballroom dance program in the world. Tell us uh, your feelings on that. Oh, you took my question. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I cannot make a comment on the ballroom program. Mormons love to dance, I guess. Ballroom dance. I don't know. Excuse me. Did you say women <laughs> they have love a massive? Dance? I, I know they have a massive ballroom. I've been in the ballroom. It's gigantic, but I've uh, never uh, done it myself. So I don't know. I wasn't with that crowd, unfortunately. The BYU oh, man. Collegiate Ballroom uh, program has performed in 36 foreign countries since its inception. In the the 1970s. And I think you should know about that, Sam. Uh, There you go. The more you know. Sam, did (laughs) did you make the trip to Ohio? No, but I did make the trip to Colorado. I I played about an inning of baseball um, and then went up for a ball in left center and uh, came down my ankle sideways and spent Mm. the rest of the trip on the sideline. So, no, it was black and blue. Terrible. Took about six months to fully recover. So, Never thought I'd get an injury playing vintage baseball. Not that injury, at least. You know, not a broken finger, but a super sprained ankle. You didn't play any games before that? That was the first inning of the first game in Colorado? It was top of the second. I think it was top of the second. I had one at bat, popped up the second, you know, just a total disappointment of a trip. So, you know. Scorekeeper? Looking to come back this year and rebound. Did you scorekeep or did you lose and leave? Did (laughs) Did you decide to leave? No, I didn't. I stuck around. I was alone in an Airbnb most of the time, just sitting on a bed, you know, trying to stay positive because I had to drive, you know, the the 20 hours home with a sprained ankle. Um, I, I did watch the rest of the games that our guys, our Arizona guys are playing in on crutches. So I uh, just kind of pulled up to the dugout or on the grandstand and watched the rest of the games. So I did score keep one game. One game I did with, uh, with a guy named Bucky out there. I think it needs to be known. That during this was the game we played against the Corn Shockers. Of yeah, Sam. yeah, yeah. They were giving us a good walloping, and all of a sudden Sam gets injured and has to leave the game. Like, oh, all right. it's because typical, typical Corn Shucker baseball. Yeah. You see the corn I've never shucker. seen that exit velo. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> you see them play, and you're like, oh, we have to match that intensity, and we have to run all over uh-huh. the place, and you couldn't yeah. do it. You failed, yep. Sam. Uh, Cougar, honestly, <laughs> Cougar, your questions. 
Uh, so getting back to uh, you know the Copper City Classic, um, to go back in the Roller Out the Barrel archives, there's a few episodes of uh, a couple of the guys. I think I watched, uh, I listened to Sauce, listened to Sauce's uh, uh, conversation. Eye, eye rolls all around. Yeah, that sounds we, about right. <laughs> we know Sauce. Remember, he played he play the shortstop between me playing third and Sam playing first. So we got, we're right in between them all day long. I don't know why you we guys are rolling your don't eyes. Don't get me wrong. Why are you guys rolling your eyes? Some of my favorite we interviews. It's awesome. One of the best people on the planet. We love the character. We love him. <laughs> uh, but anyway, going going back to that uh, uh, Copper City Classic here, you're talking about playing in front of crowds. Um, what is the what is the crowd of you know of an average game, and versus Copper City Classic? And do you, as ball players, like Patrick, I'll start with you. Do you guys start or do you find that you play differently when you have a big crowd versus say one where it's just, you know, wives and families. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting, especially you talk about the big crowd. Busy is obviously our biggest crowd by far. It's a big uh, draw. I'm actually not to take so further out, but I'm actually the president of the nonprofit that runs that ballpark now and runs the um, event. So, you know, we've already had people buying tickets for this event. So it, it's a big draw. So when you talk about playing in front of them, it's, it's, I don't think I play much different, but it's definitely you don't realize how many people are there until you miss a play or make a good play and then you just hear the crowd. Or the favorite is when you're playing somebody like the women team and you get them out and the whole crowd just boos you. So <laughs> it's, it, it, it's fun. <laughs> it, it's definitely unique. But our, our average crowd, I, I'd say it really varies. There's time where we have 20 people out there. Uh, we played in, in a small old military fort out in Yuma, which is right along the California border last last spring. And there was people everywhere. Like they lined the, the field, like the base pass with people. And so, you know, you hit a hard line drive down the third base line and hit somebody. It was insane. So it just depends on how many groups we get, but it, it's a fun draw. But I love it. Cougar, your question for Sam. Yeah, Sam, same thing. Uh, you know, tell me about you know crowd reactions, crowd responses. Maybe even like to a little bit of an extent, you know, that when you when you make a play, and the crowd just lets you know, like, wow, that was impressive. Like, what? Tell me, give me some crowd feedback. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could bottle that up and you know, and and drink it later. No, it's the best feeling ever when you make a good play in front of that crowd. Um, I, I get, I, I'm, I'm, I'm humble to admit, I get nervous. It's, it's a crowd, um, and going up to home plate, you know, and and seeing that ball come in, you know, it's slow, nice and slow, but still, it seems a lot more like a lot more pressure just because of the crowd. But you know, I, it's why I play the game. I, I, I look forward to April every year to play in Disney. You know, I tell everybody get to Bisbee and you'll see why we play this game. You know, it's just, it's electric. So um, yeah, whether it's, we, you know, we get a great play or even if you make a bad play, it's, 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 it's fun the whole time. Uh, Patrick, I got a two part question for you here. Uh, part number one, have you been by the house where Jody Arias killed her boyfriend? Oh, you took my question. <laughs> I have not, and I don't. I don't. Um, it's in Phoenix. I don't even know where that is, to be honest with you. 
Well, it's it's. I Maybe believe it's one. off the market. It was. Up I have no market. idea. Well, you guys look into that. Uh, part number two, <laughs> uh, Patrick. <laughs> uh, tell us about your relationship with your bat. What what are you using? Ooh. What's your history of finding that bat? So I actually, when I was in Bisbee, when I was playing for Bisbee, this is actually a, an interesting story itself. So there's a guy. Uh, you guys may have seen him before. His name is Brian. He makes it, he owns a company called Smacker, who makes what the best bats I've ever seen, in, in my personal opinion. And he had one sitting there on the rack uh, a couple years ago, and I saw it. It was called the, the Stinger. It was called. It's just it's black and yellow. And this is when I played for Bisbee, and I was a black and white team and played black and yellow. And it, it was 36 inches long, which is obviously something you can't you don't really use in fast pitch, which um, is different. So I got that thing. It just, it even coming, like as I was coming out to bat one of the times in Bisbee, I heard somebody in the crowd say, Where'd you get that bat from? And just the comments were great about it already. So I was like, This is, this is my bat. I like this. Um, and so it, it, you know, it throws it back to a couple things. Is one, Bisbee, the parts we play, where, place we were at and where I grew up, used to have a minor league team that was for the Cubs and the uh, Reds that was called the Bisbee Bees. And they had those colors. And so that black and yellow stripe on there, the bat's called the stinger. I'm like, this is just, this is it. And so it's just been my go-to ever since. Uh, I, I will say since I got that bat, I think I've bought about 10 other bats from him. I'm a bat junkie. I have just a wall of bats, a mix of obviously vintage bats of every little array and, and change. And then I also have, I play men's league fast pitch baseball and I have a couple pro bats. So to say I don't have a, an array of bats is understatement. Uh, Sam, same question about your relationship with uh, the bat you use. Yeah, I, I think I have bat ADHD. I, I switched every at bat, so I uh, I'm constantly trying to stick with the same the same stick the rest of the you know the whole day. But I, I only have three all smacker bats. You know, we go down to the shop. It's here in uh, Queen Creek, Arizona. And I love it because you get to, you know, customize completely what you want, wood, feel, balance, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I, I just roll with the 33, you know, uh, it's a pretty skinny barrel, but um, there's a lot of speed spot. So uh, yeah, I, I love a good uh, end loaded bat is my, is my pick. Uh, Sam, Jim McMahon, quarterback of Brigham Young, uh, was a full-time <laughs> yeah. Was a full-time starter his last two years. Did quite well. Put up big numbers, big numbers. Uh, but also was the punter for his first two years. What would you think about Jim McMahon's punting uh, at Brigham Young? I'm not going to lie. That's way before my time. I'm not <laughs> I know about John Beck, Max Hall, and those guys. That's about where I start. So, uh, yeah, no, that's where I I don't go back that far, unfortunately. Did you want to talk about John Beck's career on the Miami Dolphins? Pretty forget forgettable. Is that what it was? Yeah, we're not going to talk about it. Cougar, yeah, okay. Cougar, your questions. <laughs> um, so I was at a see, I was I was at a uh, like a teaching seminar, like a national conference, and I was with uh, with some guys from Minnesota, and they were talking about meeting some people from, from Arizona and the guys from Minnesota were like, Oh yeah. And they out there and it's about 110 degrees. They say, <laughs> but it's a dry heat. And the other guy goes, yeah, so's an oven. So thinking about that, 
could you say on the record, like when is your schedule and, uh, you know, times, locales, like, you know, the, the logistics of what a season of yours looks like? Yeah. Uh, I will say, you know, we do play out here in Arizona, but when I was in Ohio for the Ohio Cup, I've never sweat that much in my life. My poor little short brimmed hat is so just, sweaty. It's just destroyed from me playing. And so, you know, the heat heater is bad, but man. Um, so our season in general is more of a winter season simply because, you know, it's like 75 degrees right now. So we play, we try to play in general from October to April. April being the, the big Bisbee tournament, the first weekend of April is always is kind of where it all ends for us. It's our say la vie, if you will. And so where we call it. Um, but we usually try to play, you know, obviously we have teams from across the state. And what we do is we try to every month, at least, get together and do one big round robin, a bunch of games, wherever it could be. For example, uh, in two weeks or a week and a half on the 24th, the Haymakers are actually hosting. We're, we're dubbing it ourselves the Haymaker Festival. So we actually have a couple guys from uh, Michigan that I met when I was in the Ohio Cup. We're going to come out here and play with us. So kind of fun. So, you know, we travel across the state. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to a town called Globe, which is about an hour and a half east of here up in the mountains where it actually snowed earlier this week. Or it's Monday, so yesterday. Uh, and so, you know, trying to incorporate these small towns and kind of show these fun things, especially these old towns that used to have minor league baseball and have really cool old ballparks. So that's kind of the gist of it. So Sam, kind of in, in a similar vein, you know, uh, Patrick's talking about travel and places that they've gone and seen. Mention Ohio Cup. Tell me about the field or certain fields that have particular landmarks or is every field you play at just like so perfectly manicured that every hop is true and every bounce is natural or do you have a thing that has a tree in the middle of the outfield we, we do have a weird field we played last year and, and patrick can expound more on it if i miss anything but yeah in yuma that town in southwest arizona near california we played at that fort last year and when i showed up my, my jaw dropped because there's about a Patrick, what would you say, 40, 40 foot, 30 foot? Yeah, yeah. Inside. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the second baseman was about 15 to 20 feet below the center fielder. Yeah, and the right field. So, yeah, an you know, incredible hill between second and right field that, you know, was, provided lots of funny moments. Um, that's probably our weirdest field. And sadly, we're not going to play there this year. Um, but I mean, we, we do have – Warren Ballpark is, my, is, is, the, is the Bisbee ballpark. There are funny quirks about that field too with the infield grass and, and things like that. So we, we, we love finding out those quirks, especially in the outfield. You know, is it a dry day? Is it a wet day? You're going to get big hops, little hops, things like that. It's my favorite. Patrick, uh, two-part question. Uh, part number one. In the town of Sierra Vista, are you familiar with Sierra Vista? Very familiar. It was the nearest Walmart from where I grew up. Sierra Vista is the location of the very first McDonald's drive-thru in the country. Uh, Patrick, when you go to McDonald's and you go through the drive-thru, what is your usual order? All right, so I have two options, but usually if I'm driving, which seems to be my thing, is I always get... A quarter pounder with cheese, plain, because I don't want to make a mess, and uh, usually large size, and I get a Diet Coke because, you know, balance. 
Keep sure. it reasonable. <laughs> sure. Uh, part number two. When you were young, and this is the favorite question that I ask people on the podcast, and this is this is fair for Sam as he gets to sit back and think about the answer to this question as I ask you. When you're young and you're playing baseball and you can't find 17 friends to play a, a full baseball game with, it's impossible. Nobody has 17 friends. You're just trying to round up and form something that looks as close to baseball as possible. What are you playing on? How many people are you playing with? And what are the rules are you changing to just get some baseball in? All right. Conveniently, I have quite an answer for this. So growing up in Bisbee, obviously, is a small town. There was no light, and we're in Arizona. So if you want to go play in July, probably going to wait till sun goes down. So we would play. It, we called tennis court baseball. It was in a tennis court because there's two tennis courts side by side. And if you turn them kind of at a diamond shape, you almost have a baseball field right there with fences and everything. And one of the fences was a wall. So we had our own green monster. It was amazing. So what we did was we take a wiffle ball and you have to hit it on one bounce. So you throw it, it bounces once and then you can hit it. Uh, and we used foam baseball bats. And so the rules were you could hit somebody with the, the ball to get them out as long as they're on the base. First base was basically a normal corner of it, uh, two tennis courts. Second base was actually the net, the corner of the net between the two nets. And then to go to third, you could actually run on either side of the net of your choosing and then come back to home. Uh, the other rule was you had, if you, if you bat twice in the same inning, you have to bat the other hand. So your weak hand very strong hand. They have to bat left-handed. Home runs, you could actually go out of the fence and grab them as long as they're still in the air, and it'd be an out still. Kind of a a goofy, we call tennis court baseball. In fact, we always, the the tennis courts are probably 500 yards from where we play in the Warren Ballpark, and we're always like, maybe we should play a tennis court baseball game tonight with all these people. And to to your point about the amount of people, we only needed three people per team, but – uh, you didn't want to get more than about six because otherwise it was just a mess. Sure. Uh, Sam, same question about uh, baseball in the beginning for you. Yeah, I think um, I've had a lot of moments in my life. LDS churches are more Mormon churches. They have really nice basketball gyms in the middle, um, at least here in Arizona. I don't know how they are in the Midwest. Um, and we would play a lot of foam baseball in, in the basketball gyms. And they're usually either half court or full court. But the, the half court for my face, I'm more of a square shape. But we would basically just play normal baseball with a foam, a foam ball, bounce it off the walls with basketball hoops you can throw it off of, you know, um, just standard, you know, 30-foot base pads. Nothing crazy, but we always played in the, in the church gym for sure. And, Sam, describe to us and to all the listeners what the uniform, because the, you guys have really set yourselves apart with these uniforms Sam, tell everybody, give them a good visual of what these uh, uniforms look like. I, I assume we're referring to the Haymaker uniform, correct? Correct. Yes. Oh, yes. I was part of the meeting, the the planning meeting, and where we came up with our color scheme. It was black and, and yellow, black and gold. Um, for the first three months of our existence, we had what I call the banana era, where we were we were wearing gold shirts with black pants, you know, kind of a yellow. And when we showed up for the first game, everyone had an entirely different shade of whatever color it was. It was just, I look at pictures and I cringe still. Um, 
that first day, you know, we look like we look like a bunch of bananas out there. Um, now we're rocking the black black top, black bottoms. Some of the guys uh, rock the gold suspenders and bow ties, and then we wear our uh, Stockbridge Sewing Works hats with our golden H on it. Um, some people wear high socks, some people don't. We wear gold socks under the under the pants. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun look, especially on a sunny day when there's no breeze and we're out here we're out there cooking in the outfield. So super fun. Yeah. Uh... Who thought up the black in Arizona? What, what's a Pat, Patrick? Yeah, well, yeah. So <laughs> originally, Sam referencing the Fifty Shades of Yellow we called ourselves. I didn't know there was that many shades of yellow until yeah. you tell everyone to buy a yellow button-down shirt. My golly, there was a ton. But yeah, so the thought was, you know, as I spoke about the Bisbee Bees earlier, they were a black and yellow team, and that was kind of what we went with. And we quickly realized that yellow tops are horrific idea and black was probably the better choice um you know in january it's not so bad when we play the fourth of july game down in Bisbee occasionally it's horrible but at least you're not going with the wool because uh that will kill people cougar yeah we have we have wool hats <laughs> well you're up coog so you know i, I want to come back to the tennis court baseball because, you know, as, as, as reenactors, like as, as reenactors of, of the sport, you know, while we could say like, you know, we modify a few rules here and there and, and, and do this, like in a sense, 150, 160 years ago, they're doing the same thing. We've got all of these different variants of the game that eventually evolves into, uh, into what we know today in, in the modern sense of baseball. So, uh, thinking about that, um, you know, Patrick, I'll start with you. You are MLB commissioner for a day. What's the what's the one rule that you need to change? Using either vintage baseball or just something like what's the one true thing that's got to get fixed? Uh, getting rid of the DH. Uh, uh, this is where I I, I know I, I'm a pure. That's why the one thing I'm a pure is when it comes to is. I don't like the DH. I like pitchers who rake. You know, it's always been one of those things. Obviously, here in Arizona, we've had a couple of good ones here on the Major League team. We've had Mike Owens. We've had Zach Greinke. You know, we have Mess and Bumgarner, but I'm not going to talk about that. But mm. to that, I, I just, I, I like that pitchers have to hit. It's a two-stage sport. Sam? I'm going to take a, still a page out of the Savannah Bananas book, Stealing First Base. I think that throwing that in there, some speedsters, some lefty speedsters, kind of, you know, pitcher taking a break, take first. I don't know. I, I don't know how often it would affect the game, but just creating more freedom on the base path. Uh, I, I love chaos. You know, our, our D-backs team right now, that was their whole thing. It was create chaos, and that's I'm all over that, speed on the base path. So, uh, Pitchers don't have time to hit. Because when you're a pitcher in the major leagues, that's a that's a full time job. You're doing stuff nonstop. Now back in the back in my youth, having no <laughs> DH in both leagues would have been awesome. Uh and and they could have spent time hitting and and everything. But they're behind the eight ball now. Not they don't get the practice or anything and ninety nine percent of the time they're just a strikeout. And especially now that uh 
bunting doesn't exist anymore. I, I don't understand what's going on with that, but uh, I don't know if you could do it. I don't say, I'm not saying I don't dis I don't uh, agree with you, Patrick. I'm just saying, I don't think it could happen because of uh, how they treat all these specialized positions in every sport. Now it, it, there will never be another Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson, Brian Jordan, their role. And I just don't think pitchers are going to hit ever again. I just don't, I just don't see it happening. And those are no, my, I don't either. Unfortunately, those are my two cents. Hey, uh, are, are you guys familiar with Lake Havasu City? Lake yep. Havasu City, Arizona. Yeah. All right. Which one of you two can tell me exactly the historical significance that I'm about to bring up of Lake Havasu? Have that's Patrick. So, the one, that, yeah, because it's a party town. So the non-Mormon <laughs> will answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna guess the London Bridge. Yes, I'm gonna guess. Yeah, yes, I did know that. Yeah, yeah. See, I've only been there one time in my life. <laughs> in 1968, uh, the founder of the city bought the London Bridge, and they dismantled it. Oh, Jeff, you got to be loving this. Uh, dismantled it and took it over to uh, the town and reassembled it, and it goes over a stretch of the Colorado River. And it actually has Napoleon's lampposts on the bridge uh, as you go across it. So he bought it for $2.46 million in 1968. Steel. So, yeah. And to put out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so it's out in the middle of nowhere. Is that where this, this, this city is in no man's land? Yeah. It's, it's basically between Phoenix and Las Vegas. Oh, so there's a lot of dead bodies buried by it. So we should. I would imagine. Yeah, we should go check out the the uh, the (laughs) grasslands on both sides of this bridge. There's probably, Mm. yeah, the the Arizona mafia. Is there such a thing as that? (laughs) No. Okay. Yeah. Don't Don't talk about it. Uh, Patrick, (laughs) uh, you guys are in mid season right now. Uh, that just made everybody jealous uh, that, that listens and is sitting at home in the cold weather. Uh, how's the season going overall? Uh, how's it? And I also, uh, Sam, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. So you have something to, uh, to think about your question is going to be about how, uh, how's it been playing uh, against the girls team for the last couple of seasons that, that go out there and uh, they don't care. They don't care that they're playing a bunch of dudes. Uh, and, uh, so I'm going to ask you to come on, on that, but Patrick, how's the season going? Season's going great. Uh, we are about halfway through our season. We started in, we played a couple games in October, but most of the season started in November. This is the first year we're really doing where we're keeping track of records, uh, which is kind of fun. Last year, we just kind of, it was pretty obvious who the top two teams were. And we played a championship in Bisbee, which was, amazing um, because it was the place that I grew up in my bedroom window overlooked right field of, of Warren ballpark. And we got to win our cha- our first championship there, which was amazing this year. We're keeping records and we are currently five and oh kicking butt rolling. Great. Uh, but the, it, all the teams are, are, are doing great. And it's just, it's been a really fun competitive season. We're getting a lot of interest out here in Arizona. 
How come Sam gets a precursor, gets to know what his question is ahead of time? Uh, because that comes with the territory <laughs> the of being the captain. When you're the captain, you yeah. have all the answers. All right. You know, off the top of your head. And when you're Sam, <laughs> uh, maybe you'd like a little heads up. So Sam, sure. Sam. Yeah. It's different out there in Arizona. And the difference is there are women's teams in certain spots around the country. And unfortunately, most of them have died off. Uh, but there are some that still exist, but out in Arizona, you have a ladies club that participates in the same league, right with all the boys. And, uh, they take it on the chin and don't complain about it or they dish it out and don't, well, maybe they do when they play good and they get you out. Is there uh, is there celebrating going on or are they just treating it like another play? I mean, they're gamers. These these ladies know how to play. I mean, you can tell, and there's about 500 of them. There's it's a massive. They always have. I I feel like they have a standing roster of you know 18 people, um, 18 ladies that show up. But um, yeah, we uh, we haven't played them this season yet. But they're my favorite team to play because of the fun that they have playing. Um, but that's not you know to be confused with their amount of competitiveness. They're very competitive. They love to, you know, give us a run for our money and, and make plays and, you know, um, just play ball. So I, 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 they're probably my favorite team to play in the league because of that, because they can have a great time, but at the same time, they're, they're, they're there to win. So we love playing the maidens. We love having them in our league. Cougar. All right. So winning championships. Okay. So as you just brought up the, the idea of winning championships, I remember, First World Tournaments, that's our big tournament in Metro Detroit, the World Tournament of Baseball. And I won it, or when we won it in 2007, and I remember crying. I was, like, so happy about that. And my girlfriend, who is now my wife, said, are you crying about this? And she still and married you. And I kind of did the old. She still married you. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and my emotional you know, <laughs> instability got even worse now, so... <laughs> certain Disney movies I can't even watch now. Oh. But thinking about thinking about championships and you know as as important as uh, as the Copper City Classic is, um, you know, think of like I'm just, I'm trying to like word this like with regard to like the gentlemanly play aspect of vintage baseball versus the doodliness of I gotta win like. How do you walk that line? Sam, I'll, I'll start with you uh, to give the mayor a, a break. Please. Yeah. No, I, it was my second season playing in the league. So for me, it was an amazing achievement to have the team I'm on, you know, I'm on my, on my sophomore season win, win the championship. Um, we played a very, very tough team in our championship. The Mesa Miners have kind of run this league for a while, and they're, they're still very, very good, and, and it's still their league, I would say. Um, and we hadn't beat him all year and we, we just, we played, we played great at the right time. And the entire game, I was just like watching the scoreboard, just in disbelief that we were even able to have a lead on these guys because they had beaten us so many times. And when we finally got that last out, it was just a weight off my shoulders. Like we didn't choke, you know, we, we, we did this, this you know, this was, we deserve this win because we, we kind of pride ourselves the haymakers on our defense. We, we have some 
some guys in the outfield that can, can run some balls down. Um, and, and these minors who we were going up against, they can thump the ball. So we kind of won it on defense and it was really great to, to play our style throughout the whole thing and win the, win the championship. I was smiling all day. It was a great time. Patrick? Yeah, kind of to expound on that too, you know, it, for me it was, it was so magical because it was, it was in this ballpark that I grew up overlooking and just, I, I, you know, I played there and everything, and it's just, it was just magical for me. But, you know, but also to your point of keeping it as a gentleman type game, obviously we don't be obnoxious about it. I mean, we probably were a little more than we should have been, but um, it was, it was definitely magical in that aspect. But we, we wanted to make sure, you know, we get these guys for the record. These guys had beaten us every time we played them the entire season. We used to joke, we, we have a minor problem. The miners can't just beat us left and right. They and they, when we first put this team together, we played the miners, and I think they beat us like twenty to one or some some ridiculous score. And every guy how we played them, the game got closer and closer as we got cohesive as a team and got you know these guys got more experience in this this weird vintage group because this is our first year in existence for the last year. This is our just our second year, and some of these guys have never even picked up a vintage baseball, let alone trying to figure it out. And so the more the more cohesive we got, the better we got. And, and just a tight-knit group we became, we just got better and better and kept narrowing that gap with those minors. And kept narrowing, and like, kept telling, we're coming for you guys. Uh, and, and so then when we did finally pull it off, it was just that amazing achievement. And then, you know, making sure, obviously, everybody knows we still respect and we still love the depth of some of the best, best guys out there all together. Um, but, you, you know, when it comes to that gentleman aspect. You can't be too crazy about it. Don't want to celebrate too much in their face, but make sure, you know, then the same thing with them. They celebrate their win. That's totally fine. We told we're all about it. So it's been, it's been a great time. Uh, Cougar is Jonathan McLean ready. Uh, let me check. Yes. Yes. He is ready. Okay. So we're going to give the guys, uh, uh, a minute or two to catch their breaths. We're going to have Jonathan McLean come in and do a, a sports report. And then we're going to come back with Sam and Patrick, and we're going to give them the old pepper. And I'm sure they have no idea what that is, but if you listen to the show over the last four years, you know those are just quick questions with quick answers. And uh, we're actually going to uh, have a winner uh, between the two with these uh, with these questions tonight. We'll see how that goes. But uh, right now, it's time for Jonathan McLean. This is your Roller Up the Barrel News Break for Thursday, January 30th, 1868. I'm Jonathan McLean. Dateline, Brooklyn, New York. The Eagle and Empire Baseball Clubs played a game this past Tuesday. Yes, you heard me right. A game of baseball in New York in January that said, we didn't get a report of a guy coming through with eight reindeer. This was no ordinary game, as Tuesday's contest will be played on ice. Two good nines were present through some stormy weather, uh, though some stormy weather chased away several of each team's best players, as well as most of the spectators. The Eagles scored four runs in the top of the first. Helped in part by Mr. McGinn, who reached first on a dropped third strike by the Empire catcher, Mr. Simmons. The Empire's pitcher would see karma repaid as he himself reached the first sack in the bottom of the inning on a similarly dropped third strike. In the second inning, after a second strikeout by Mr. Simmons, 
Mr. Nestler came to the rescue with not one, but two clean home runs. Wilson and Morse would add clean home runs in the fourth inning to add to the Empire's lead. The game was scheduled to be concluded after five innings, but good feelings consented to a sixth. The Eagles added two runs, while the Empires, having already secured the win, put up seven to bring the game to a conclusion. Mr. Klein of the Eckford Baseball Club acted very satisfactorily as the umpire, and the most friendly feeling was manifested throughout the match. Final score, Empires 33, Eagles 17. Today's news break is brought to you by Neblo's Garden and their production of White Fawn. We'll make your ladies blush, shock their moral sensibilities, and guarantee to have them questioning their reputation if they attend. I'm Jonathan McLean, and this has been your Roller Out the Barrel News Break. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. Yibikaye. Father Christmas. Uh, okay. As we bring back, uh, we bring back in Patrick and Sam. Uh, what I'm going to do here, guys, is I'm going to ask you some quick questions that, uh, quick answers. We'll go through as many as, uh, as I got here. And then I'll decide who gave the best answers at the end. Are you gentlemen ready? We're going to go back and forth. We'll start with Mr. Murphy. He's the captain. That's how these things go. Seniority basis. Patrick, what's your favorite Kool-Aid flavor? Uh, Cherry. Sam, best character on Scooby-Doo? At least Scrappy-Doo. Patrick, if you had to eat one, would it be a bowl of crickets or a bowl of worms? Uh, Bowl of crickets, absolutely. Worms, no thank you. Sam, what is your favorite finger? Oh, I'm I'm a thumb guy for sure. Need that. Uh, Patrick, the location of your best vacation? Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, Sam, your favorite coin? Nickel. I like the, 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 the thickness of it, for sure. Patrick, have you ever eaten a dog biscuit? Yeah. Sure have. Uh, Sam, have you ever heard of Pong? Yes, I have. Patrick, what is a pet peeve? Uh, chewing loudly. Sam, quickly morph two animals together to make one. Uh, the liger. You, you copied that. Uh, Patrick. Dang it, man. Patrick, have, I can think of- <laughs> have you ever caught any food on fire while you're cooking? Uh, yeah, a pizza. Sam, name something you refuse to share. Uh, my Diet Cokes. Uh, Patrick, what was your favorite toy growing up? A uh, Tonka truck. Sam, when you refill the toilet paper in the restroom, does the roll go over or come under? Oh, I'm definitely under. I like the under. Yeah, I like to watch the world burn. <laughs> I do that just to bother. I do that just to bother people. Writing my cut list for the team. <laughs> <laughs> the no trade clause, though. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, what is the most beautiful place you've ever been to? 
Oh, Iceland. Uh, Sam, would you rather swell melted sweat melted cheese or have snakes for hair? Give me the cheese. Free food. Mm-hmm. Patrick, if you could play in the Olympics in any sport, if I could magically make you good enough to play in a sport in the Olympics, what would it be? Curling. Sam, what is your favorite smell? Pine trees. All right. Here comes the last question. It's the same one for both of you. We're going to start with Patrick. What is your Mount Rushmore of candy bars? Oh, uh, Twix, Kit Kat. Oh, um, Milky Way and Three Musketeers. Sam. Three Musketeers is crazy. Milky Way Midnight. Milky Way Midnight, the correct version. Um, we will go with the Twix, Almond Joy, and uh, give me give me the Kit Kat. You can't uh, say the exact same thing either. That's what are you talking about. That's a, that's a <laughs> that's an exceptional Mount Rushmore of candy bars. However, Sam. When you said Liger, you lost it. Winner of oh, no. <laughs> winner of giving you the old pepper is the mayor, Patrick <laughs> Murphy. Hey, uh, thank you for going ahead and dealing with some of our silliness here, guys. But Patrick and Sam, we want to thank you for being on the show uh, so much. A lot of people love to hear about vintage baseball out in Arizona. Uh, it It's always the state that brings in just about our biggest downloads. So, uh continued success out there in Arizona and uh, so much appreciate you coming on the show guys yeah thanks for having us we really appreciate it absolutely a blast uh, Cougar anything you'd like to say before you have to sign off what a great way to spend a Monday <laughs> you know we had a you know I, I'm still licking my wounds I was at the Ford Field watch party to watch a great first half with, between the Lions and the 49ers. And then uh, and then the second half happened, so I needed I needed something to to just to brighten my day and my week and my life. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you gentlemen for uh, for providing that for me. The key is to root for a football team that has no chance and you never yeah, have to Cardinals. feel those emotionals. Yeah. Go Dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so there it is, episode one, season five, uh, for the gentleman from the Higley Haymakers, out by Jody Aris, Arias's old place. Google that, everybody, Google that. if you don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, don't forget on Netflix to check out Tacoma FD. It's a fun show. Don't watch it with your kids. That's my recommendation this week. You guys go out there and. Uh, start getting ready for some baseball or in Arizona, uh, get ready for that second half. Take care, everybody. <laughs>